Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, some interesting news dropped in Baton Rouge on Thursday. Yeah, and if you're putting money on Will Wade being that news, boy, I've gotten some news for you. <laughs> John Paul Funes pled guilty to stealing $550,000 from the Our Lady of the Lake Foundation. What does that have to do with LSU? Well, 180000 of that went to the father of former LSU star offensive guard Vidal Alexander. I'm sure you remember him. He started for LSU. Uh, Alexander was a student athlete at LSU at the time of the payments. Brad, would you say the LSU fan base is probably the most outspoken on their thought that Alabama pays players or parents? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty solid statement. Between this, between this and Will Wade basically being like Hugh Freeze without the look at how Christian I am act, the like <laughs> the LSU crowd should probably remain silent next time Nick Saban dips into Louisiana to take some kid they thought owed LSU his signature. Well, I hope that the uh, next recruit, because it's not if we get a next recruit, it's <laughs> when we get a next recruit from Baton Rouge, yeah. uh, that someone within the family works at that hospital. Because, my God, let's pour some gas on this fire here. Because <laughs> you already know, somehow, there are some of these cult members of LSU's fan base that are trying to tie this to Nick Saban in Alabama, sending the troops in anyways. Uh, now, look, the NCAA statute of limitations is four years. Vidal Alexander played at LSU in 2015. So LSU is going to be right on that line, right? Just your initial knee-jerk thought on this. Does the NCAA do anything? Uh, not necessarily because of the Will Wade stuff. Now, if the Will Wade thing wasn't going on, uh, I would think they would look into it more. I did see where they did receive an LOI in terms of uh, this investigation being kicked off back in late 2018. So that I would think that's when the date actually started. So that's within four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the head coach, when all this happened, was Les Miles. And Les Miles comes out and says, quote, you know, I'm shocked by these allegations. Well, Les has been, you know, learning how to act uh, for movies and TV. So we have seen him now put those lessons to use. But my thing is, you think back to 2015, 2016, LSU was broke as hell. They didn't even know if they were going to be able to open the season against freaking Tulsa or Tulane, whoever the hell it was. Why didn't they come up with some Ponzi scheme like this? (laughs) They had a player do it. Why can't the school do it? They deserve everything they get. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, part of me thinks the NCAA will see that it was like four years ago. It may be a rogue thing where maybe no one actually directly associated with LSU made those payments. So, yeah, because, may- you know, there is big differences uh, with large companies and, and people and businesses in Baton Rouge only. So, <laughs> nobody knows everybody. So, it, I mean, it'd be easier for them to turn a blind eye, I think. Probably. No, for sure. No, but they have the Will Wade federal investigation thing going on. Now, if that wasn't yeah. going on, it'd be a lot different. And maybe they can they can lump those two together, too. But but cause, Because a part of me also thinks 180000 is a lot of money for someone that played at LSU not that long ago. Well, $180,000 is a lot of money for somebody who played on the offensive line. Okay, that's 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 a big difference. Hey man, that, they, that's they, that's how important. You're you going to get 180 grand for an offensive lineman, but not a damn quarterback that can make 60 percent of his passes in conference. Hey, if the guards are getting that much, I wonder how much the tackles are making. Well, I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, look, moving on, it, it was another eventful week in recruiting with both a decommit and a commitment for the football program, but the biggest news on the recruiting trail in Tuscaloosa this past week may have come from Patrick Murphy and the softball program. Brad, let me ask you this before we get into the, okay. the details of that commitment. I find myself at times being more excited when one of the non-football sports lands a big-time recruit. Like like we talked last week about Coach Bo signing Gavin Collier, who was a top 125 mm-hmm. MLB draft prospect. He was committed to Clemson. That grabs my attention, I think, because I, maybe I'm not as spoiled when it comes to the other programs. Do you reciprocate that feeling at all? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it's pretty much universal within the fan base, period. Um, outside of the fogs, you know, I really do think this type of news – uh, in any sport, basketball, baseball, softball, you know, they're going to look at it in a different light because it's it's a little bit in terms of living vicariously to what Alabama was the second Nick Saban took the job as well because you're so predispositioned to just average people, average players, recruits, yada, yada. When you start getting big news with sports you really don't expect, mm-hmm. it's going to grab and hold you. And I, that happened with football. We finally got the right guy. We're finally getting the right players after having the right coaches in these other sports. So this is huge. I mean, absolutely huge for the entire athletic department. Yeah, and look, and maybe it means that we take Nick Saban's recruiting success for granted some, and I know that I probably do because there are times when maybe they land a four-star guy that's outside of the top 250, and I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, like, great, not that big of a deal, it's whatever. Uh, there were times when that was a, a huge deal for Alabama to even get oh, a four star to visit campus. Yeah, most people don't sign five, four, and five stars total a year, much less two year span. You know, that's a terrible year for us. That might put us at number six. Who knows? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, and I, look, I don't know that I've ever been more excited about a signing than I was with Colin Sexton. Probably oh. like, because I'm not accustomed to the basketball program landing top 10 players in the nation. I think we can unequivocally say in terms of that initial reaction and the weight of that player committing and signing with us that was this modern generation version of julio jones yeah for sure but look patrick murphy he landed outfielder and oregon grad transfer alexis mack i'm gonna read off some of alexis mack's accolades brad like just so we have an idea of how big this really is all right she started her career at south carolina she had the second highest batting average on the team her freshman year. She hit 341. But listen to this. Her sophomore season at Oregon, she ranked second in the entire Pac-12 with a 424 batting average. She led the Pac-12 in stolen bases with 28. <laughs> she earned all tournament honors in the Women's College World Series after she hit 500 over the course of four games. Her junior year, she ranked eighth in the Pac-12, hitting 369. She finished she finished second in the conference in stolen bases with 24 on 27 attempts. She led the conference with 21 sack bunts and led Oregon with 21 multi-hit games. She was a second-team All-Pac-12 selection both years at Oregon. Man, wow! <laughs> How was that uh, for a list of accomplishments? And at three different schools, well, now about to be three different schools. I mean, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, and the fact that she's already done it in the SEC as well. Not that the Pac-12 is – I mean, the Pac-12 no. is a great yeah. softball conference. Fine. <laughs> yeah, the Pac-12 actually has one thing of accolade in sports, and it is softball. Yeah. So, I mean, but she's proven it. She's proven it 
on the East Coast and the West Coast. Uh, I, I did read that in the Women's College World Series, when, when she hit 500 and all of that, I mean, they were. I think they were. They played LSU. I know at mm-hmm. least once, maybe twice. So she has torched <laughs> some uh, some SEC teams. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, my rooting interest will be split next year between her and Montana Fowles. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so look, Alabama is going to be one of the favorites. They were already going to be one of the favorites heading into this next yep. season for the national championship. Uh, this is going to really put them in line where they they could win one next year. Dude, we got a lot of young talent, a lot of talent coming back, and to get something like that to come in with leadership, yeah. my God, that's awesome. Uh, Patrick Murphy was not the only one to get recruiting news this week, Brad. Football program had a three-star athlete decommit and a top 100 commitment. On paper, that does that doesn't sound like an awful trade-off. No, not at all. I mean, of course, you know, with a three-star, no one's going to shed a tear over. <laughs> well, we, and we'll lead it off with the decommitment. Three-star athlete Derricky Wright from Gadsden City backed off of his pledge to Alabama this week. It was thought when he committed that he'd play outside linebacker. Alabama is putting together what has the potential to be one of the better outside linebacker classes ever for any one period. Yeah, and it's about a year too late, unfortunately, with this year coming up. But uh, regardless, yeah, it's like you go back a few years ago with our defensive line depth. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an issue. We addressed it. It hadn't been a problem since. So it's great that uh, they they foreshadowed and they've seen this because I agree with you. I mean, this is just the plethora and the depth of these guys that we're going after and also getting to commit because, hell, we're running out of spaces. So yeah. I'm not so sure this Gadsden City kid may not have been uh, told – I don't know. You might want to look around that 256 area a little bit more. Oh Well, look, the staff, they had him at camp, and they tried him at tight end or H-back. And like I said, he came in with the thought that he may play outside linebacker. And so I think maybe once he got to camp and they were trying him at tight end to see how he did, I think he maybe saw the writing on the wall. I'm just speculating, obviously. Well, there's there's definitely long-term implications here that he, he absolutely picked up on. So. I do think, you know, going back to last week, like you said, we were at 20 spots then, mm-hmm. you know, already filled. Uh, I do think some of this has some play to it because we still got till December. I mean, that's a long way to go. And there's a lot of big names we're in on that are unsure. Yeah. Uh, and I know that the staff likes him a lot. He he committed not that long ago, really. But I, And I don't think this is really a situation where they pressed him to decommit. But like you said, we're at 20 commitments in June with maybe 26 or so slots to fill. And they're in on some elite prospects. Like you said, it seems like they have a lot of top-end options out there, and ultimately they need a few guys to decommit before the early signing period in December. They they need it, whether it's someone that we like or not. Yeah, yeah, and they don't have to directly pressure him to decommit, not saying they did or didn't, mm-hmm. but there there was something he noticed that's that spurned this. And I think that, was the real message, you know, however they conveyed it. It, it was pretty well received with him of which way this thing's going to go. But this does give Auburn a chance to finally land a potential top ranked in-state <laughs> prospect though, you know, so who knows there? Yeah. Uh, honestly though, early indications, I think Tennessee is probably a landing spot. Jeremy Pruitt had him in for a, bit, a visit a couple weekends ago. Auburn might get shut out, you know, again with this one. From what I understand, they may be circling back around to show interest in him now that he's decommitted from Alabama, but it, they may be too late on this one. Damn, they're not going to break out the old Tiger limo on them? <laughs> I guess not. Uh, <laughs> 
the the top 100 commitment came from outside linebacker Will Anderson from Hampton, Georgia, listed at 6'3", 233. He's been a priority a for the staff. Yeah, he's been a priority for the, for the long run. This dude's going to be – everyone take notes. This dude is going to be legit in about two seasons at Alabama. He has 39 total offers. This was a this was a big commitment. But, Brad, I was looking at the recruiting rankings after the Will Anderson commitment. You may be shocked to know Alabama's only 10 points behind Clemson for the top class in the country on 24-7. Clemson has 18 commitments, Alabama with 20. I would still be mildly surprised if Clemson doesn't finish with the top class. Alabama's making it interesting. I, going back, what, about a month ago – it would have took the wheels falling off, basically, like you were telling me in terms of Clemson not to finish that way. Well, maybe it's not the wheels falling off. Maybe it's Coach Saban adding another car to the train here, mm-hmm. you know, and just pushing forward. And it probably doesn't hurt with the uh, comment Dabo made and just Dabo <laughs> being Dabo and, you know, the weekly reminder, never Dabo. But he's been on a mission from 17 to 18 last year. Look what happened from Justin Ross's comments as a freshman to now. Look what happened. I will not be surprised if we're talking about coming down to the wire in between Alabama and Clemson one and two, and both of them could possibly be one of the best classes ever, period. I also want to send out a a shout-out to Sal Sanzari, who a lot of people and a lot of other fan bases kind of made fun of Nick Saban for rehiring him right before the season started. Sal did not recruit that well at Tennessee. Uh, He did not recruit that well at Florida. Uh, okay. Well, he uh, he did a pretty damn good job when he was in Tuscaloosa. I mean, yeah. I'm just gonna say exactly, <laughs> and he is killing it this cycle. I, I mean, mean, look, I was on that Ohio State podcast a couple months ago, and and he was talking about the guy, the co-host Colton Denning. He brought up a show or a question on the show about Sal. I'm like, man, I love the fact he's back. Like, seriously, Sal and Vinny. I, to me, there's no favorite player more that did so much in such a little window than Vinny Sinceri. Sal was just a badass. Sal recruited well. He would coach well. There's no doubt the biggest rehire Nick Saban has ever made at Alabama was him, in my mind. And, and I, I always find it funny that the Tennessee fans are like, oh, they hired Sal. You know, well, Sal was a defensive coordinator at Tennessee. Why did Sal become a defensive coordinator at Tennessee? Because he did a great job as a, posi- as a position coach where? Yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and well, yeah, and the cupboard was left bare as hell. There was skim milk in the damn powder form at Tennessee. What the hell is he supposed to do with that? <laughs> and he was with Butch Jones. Yeah. Well, wait, no, that was a. Uh... Oh no, that was Derek Dooley. Yeah, Derek God, Dooley. Even worse. <laughs> I mean, the dude had a. He was on crutches. That's how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, he had a bar stool on the on his sideline. I mean. Uh... Yeah, look, and then Sal tried to, to transition them from a 4-3 to a 3-4, and they had yeah. no players. Yeah. No yeah. players. No kidding. They didn't yeah, even have players like, for a 4-3. So how was the transition going to go? Well, it's like you know taking a 7-and-under league team that plays baseball and trying to make them play football now. <laughs> That's basically how that goes. Well, look, some things would have to fall in, into place for Alabama to catch Clemson. But if they can sweep some of their highly rated targets like Zach Evans, who we've brought up before, uh, and Darnell Washington, number one running back and the number one tight end in the nation, and they lead in the crystal ball for both of those guys, uh, then defensive end Reggie Grimes, he's a borderline five-star on the composite. His dad, Reggie Grimes, played at Alabama. Uh, then if they can possibly split one of the West Coast five-star linebackers they're in on, Justin Flo, Savelle Smalls, 
they could pass or be right on the hills of Clemson, uh, which didn't even look possible a couple months ago. To, to put this in perspective, Brad, the gap between Alabama and Clemson is 10 points, okay? The gap between Alabama and LSU is really close. They're, they're neck and neck for se- at second and third. LSU has for a really now. good class, yeah, for now. But the gap between Alabama and Georgia, who is number four, is 36 total points. Well, does that include the top six receiver in the country today? Yes, that was that is as of ten minutes before we started okay. recording. Yeah. Okay, I, I wouldn't sleep on that class. I do think Georgia's going to make some noise late, as uh, expected. Oh, Georgia's going to catch. Yeah, right now yeah. Kirby's too busy trolling Florida, uh, <laughs> sending those recruits down there on official visits and getting them to commit the following week, which that's fine. I mean, we know Kirby's about like that anyways, so why not? But no, I mean, the thing with Clemson, though, is how many spots do they have left? Um, I don't think they're taking a big class. Okay, so how are they going to readjust numbers or make room in case there's somebody else out there that may want to entertain them more heavily as we come down this final stretch? Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm getting at is basically we're at where we are right now, but there may be some unknowns out here that can all of a sudden pop up and change this thing. At the end of the day, it's still better than six. I, I don't care whether we're one or two. You know, I'm not going to be like that uh, – what was his name? Dr. SEC, you know, two years ago. <laughs> Alabama got the number six class in the nation. It's over. They'll win a national championship. They'll never be number one in recruiting. Next year, they're number one in recruiting. So I'm not going to be like that, but I won't count out Dabo. May we always be disappointed with the number six class in the country? My God, we had some great content that year. <laughs> I mean, that was fun as hell. But but no, I mean, it's going to still take a pretty powerful haul on this last five spots, basically, Yeah. Uh, to, to catch Clemson. I don't care if we catch Clemson. That's the thing. It, it don't matter whether we're above them or below them in recruiting. It's still going to be four more freaking years of Clemson, Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So what's it matter? It, it is. It is. And as long, I mean, as, if they stay in those top two or three classes, there is nothing to complain about ever. I will take the number three class for the rest of my my life. Every single year, every cycle, give me number three, I'm good. And I will put all the damn money every year. Let's go back to last year of LSU in the top three or five that they're going to have a Texas A&M Kevin Sumlin type October collapse. We'll see. I I do expect Kirby and Georgia to close that gap. I also expect LSU to maybe fall back a little bit. Uh, I don't don't think their class is going to look the same in February as it does right this second. No, not at all. Not even December, especially when uh, they go see that lady at the lake. (laughs) And can we agree Kirby is here to stay on the recruiting trail? I mean, look, that was I talked about this before he even started recruiting and before most this mom was hired on, you know, like this was never a doubt. Mm -hmm. But I'm just glad he's kind of turned his focus a little bit currently towards Dan Mullen, you know, kind of kind of messing with him because he knows. He's learned his lesson after the whole Mo Smith stuff, you know, recruiting against uh, Kirby, recruiting against Nick Saban. Now he's got to focus on Dan. He's got to focus on Dabo. The ultimate thing with Saban and Kirby right now is just he's got to beat Saban because until he beats Nick Saban, he's never going to get over the hump. He can get as many number one recruiting classes as he wants. So that's his legacy. But right now, dude, Kirby will always have Georgia there. But until he can get over that hump, that old booster money – (laughs) <laughs> They're going to start getting antsy, believe me. Uh, that's a watch what you wish for uh, situation right, well, there. 
I mean, I thought the haircut would have gave it away in terms of how much he's willing to change, but, you know. <laughs> All right. This has been the Roll Bimmer Roll podcast. Roll Todd.